Okay, I just found this thing and I'm going like, what am I reading? I don't know, but I'm just going to pick a page. Shadow banking, part two. Settings, the stage. Uh-huh. I'm just flipping. This is amazing. Okay, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Shadow banking. The financial crisis of 2007 and 2008 was not a single event, but a crisis, a series of crises that rippled through the financial system and ultimately the economy, distress. And one area of the financial markets led to failures and other areas by ways of interconnections and vulnerabilities that bankers, government officials, and others had missed or dismissed when subprime and other risky mortgages issued during the house bubble during a housing bubble that many experts fail to identify and whose consequences are not, were not understood, began to default at unexpected rates. A once obscure market for complex investment securities backed by those mortgages abruptly failed. When the contagion spread, investors panicked and the danger inherent in the whole system became manifest. Financial markets teetered on the edge, and brand-name financial institutions were left bankrupt or dependent on the taxpayers, on the taxpayers, dependent on the taxpayers for survival. Dun, dun, dun. This sounds good. Looks like a uh, something that might be uh, a pick after the right the island book. Shadow banking. What else? Flip, flip, flip. Commercial paper. And repose. Unfettered markets. FDIC is mentioned. What else? 1970s. <gasps> Traditional and shadow banking chart. It's a table. Source. Federal Reserve Flow of Funds Report. Shadow banking funding includes commercial paper and other short-term borrowing. Bankers' acceptances, you know. Repo, net securities loaned, liabilities of asset-backed securities, issuers, and money market mutual fund assets. Oh. I have to read the whole thing to understand this, but yes, I'm interested. Let's begin. Welcome. Today is October 27th, 2023, Friday. We're in a countdown, people. To what? The 31st? Or is it the 30th? I don't know. Let me look. Okay. I'm going to say 30, 31, and the first. Three-day spread. You know, it takes about three days for the whole thing to go around. Sounds good. So, counting down from there. What's up, Kendrick? Counting down from there. We got today, tomorrow, Sunday. And then we're in the danger zone. Get it. Three days before we have to stay home. For what? Getting ready. For what? I don't know. Some. Some. So I'm reading this book to find out what. All right. Cool. The financial. What? Eight, two, one. The government info dot government. It's G O V I N F O dot G O V. The Financial Crisis Inquiry Report. Financial Report of the National Commission on the Causes of the Financial and Economic Crisis in the United States. Authentic U.S. Government Information GPO. Official Government Edition. The Financial Crisis Inquiry Report. This printing includes all corrections contained in the errata sheet issued by the Commission as founded as found on the FCIC website as of February twenty fifth. Have mercy, twenty eleven one one. The Financial Crisis Inquiry Report is the final report of the National Commission of the Causes on the cause of the National Commission on the causes of the financial and economic crisis in the United States submitted by the Financial Crisis Inquiry Commission pursuant to public law 111-21 January 21-1 Official Government Edition for sale 
by the Superintendent of Documents, U.S. Government Printing Office, Internet colon Bookstore. Dot gpo dot gov phone numbers address in dc mail stop idcc washington all that good stuff ispn and everything contents commissioners commissioner votes commission staff list preface then we get to conclusions of the financial crisis inquiry commission conclusions i like reading conclusions first and then they go break it down in five parts one Crisis on the horizon before your very eyes. Part two, setting the stage. Shadow banking, uh-huh. Like, you know how a stage in a theater, and then in between they have to reset the stage, and so it goes dark, and then they welcome the patrons or the audience to go out and get refreshments while the stage is dark, and then the people are moving in the background. They all wear black so you don't see them because they're techies. And then, you know, but if you're curious, you stay and watch them in the dark. <laughs> Securitization and derivatives. Deregulation, redux. All new words to me. Subprime lending. That's not so unfamiliar, people. Part three, the boom and bust. Credit expansion. The mortgage machine. The CDO machine. COD? No, CDO machine. All in. The madness on page 188. The bust, 213. Then we talk about early 2007. Any remember that? You know, spreading subprime worries. And then the summer of 2007, disruptions in funding. Where were you? Late 2007 to early 2008, billions in subprime losses. Oh, spring, March 2008, the fall of Bear Stearns. March to where? August 2008, systematic risk concerns. September 2008, the takeover of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. 309 page. September 2008, the bankruptcy of Lehman. September of 2008, the bailout of AIG. All right, I get interrupted, so we'll just end there and hold the suspense and start from the beginning. Members, we're not going to name names. Profess. The Financial Crisis Inquiry Commission was created to, quote, examine the causes of the current financial and economic crisis in the United States, and quote, in this report. The commission presents to the president, the Congress, and the American people, oh, that's us, the results of its examination and its conclusions as to the causes of the crisis. More than two years after the worst of the financial crisis, our economy, as well as communities and families across the country, continues to experience the aftershocks. <gasps> aftershocks. Millions of Americans, M.A. for short, have lost their jobs and their homes, and the economy is still struggling to rebound. This report is intended to provide a historical accounting of what brought our financial system and economy to a precipice and to help policymakers and the public better understand how this calamity came to be. The Commission was established as part of the Fraud Enforcement and Recovery Act. F-E-R-A, FERA, Public Law 111-21, passed by Congress and signed by the government in May 2009. This independent, this independent, I moved it. Hold on. Uh, 
da 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 I'll just sing until I find it. Da 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 This independent ten member panel was composed of private citizens with experience in areas such as housing, economics, finance, market regulation, banking, and consumer protection. Yeah? Uh-huh. Six members of the commission were appointed by the Democratic leadership of Congress and four members by the Republican leadership. What is the score? Six to four? The commission's statutory instructions set out 22 specific topics for inquiry and calls for the examination of the collapse. No, examination of the collapse of major financial institutions that failed. Financial institutions that failed or would have failed if not for what? Exceptional assistance from the government, of course. Uh This report fulfills these mandates. In addition, plus one, the commission was instructed to refer to the Attorney General of the United States and any appropriate state Attorney General, any person to the commission founded may have violated the laws of the United States in relation to the crisis. Where the commission found such potential violations, it referred those matters to the appropriate. All right, it is exactly 8.31 a.m. my time, and we keep getting interrupted. My preface got cut short too, so no worries. We'll just move right along to the conclusions of the Financial Crisis Inquiry Commission. The Financial Crisis Inquiry Commission, FCIC, has been called upon to examine the financial and economic crisis that has gripped our country and explained its causes to the American people. We are we are keenly, P.G. Keen, Keenly aware of the significance of our charge, given the economic damage that America has suffered in the wake of the greatest financial crisis since the Great Depression, GD that, our task was first to determine what happened and how it happened so that we could understand why it happened here We present our conclusions. We encourage the American people to join us in making their own assessment based on the evidence gathered in our inquiry. If we do not learn from history, Mm -hmm. we are unlikely uh to fully recover from it. Ah. Some on Wall Street and in Washington, WW that, with a stake in the status quo, may be tempted to wipe from memory the events of this crisis, or to suggest that no one could have foreseen or prevented it. This report endeavors to expose the facts, identify responsibility, unravel myths, and help us understand how the crisis could have been avoided. It is an attempt to record history, not to rewrite it, nor allow it to be rewritten. To help our fellow citizens better understand this crisis and its causes, we also present specific conclusions at the end of the chapters. In parts three, four, and five of this report. Oh, you know, I see that as a fast-forward pass. Cliff notes and all. The subject of this report is of no small consequence to this notion. The profound events of 2007 and eight were neither bumps in the road nor an 
accentuate a dip in the financial and business cycles we have come to expect in a free market economy system. No, this was a dong 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 FD fundamental disruption, a financial upheaval, if you will. <coughs> that wreaked, wrecked, whatever havoc in communities and neighborhoods across the country. In this report, go as this report goes to print. There are more than twenty-six million Americans who are out of work. Cannot find full-time work, or have given up looking for work. Cheers, anyone? Yeah, I need I need some music for this, y'all. So, so. I can't get it out of my head, but I don't know the name of the song. So let's look at the DJ's last played list. When you've lost everything. This was a no pair. Like a pair squash. You loved when you've lost everything you love by beautiful inspiration epic music mix. Channel Epic Battle. I did. I have driven Lexuses. I've been driven in Lexuses. Can I skip this ad? No. It's Febreze because it's so fresh. The kind of fresh that goes through your nose. You know? Do you know? That as this report goes to print, there are more than 26 million Americans who are out of work cannot find full-time work or have given up looking for work. About four million families have lost their homes to foreclosure and another four and a half million have slipped into the foreclosure process or are seriously behind on their mortgage payments. Mortgage. Nearly 11, one, one trillion in household wealth has vanished with retirement accounts and life savings swept away, businesses, large and small, have fall, felt the sting of a deep recession. What's up, bootstrapper? There is much anger about what has transpired. And justifiably so. Many people who abided by all the rules now find themselves out of work and uncertain about their future prospects. The collateral damage of this crisis has been real people and real communities. The impacts of this crisis are likely to be felt for a generation, and the nation faces no easy path to renew economic strength. Like so many Americans, we begin our exploration with our own views, and some primarily preliminary knowledge preliminary knowledge about how the world's strongest financial systems came to the brink of collapse. Oops, wrong button. A little louder on the background music, I think. Even at the time of our appointment to this independent panel, much had already been written and said about the crisis, yet all of us 
have been deeply affected by what we have learned in the course of our inquiry. We have been at various times fascinated, surprised, and even shocked by what we saw, heard, and read. Ours has been a journey of revelation. Much attention over the past two years have been focused on the decisions by the federal government to provide massive financial assistance to stabilize the financial system and rescue large financial institutions that were deemed too systematically important to fail. Those decisions and the deep emotions surrounding them may be debated long into the future, but our mission was to ask and answer the central question. How did it come to pass that in 2008 our nation was forced to choose between the two stark and painful alternatives. Either risk the total collapse of our financial system and economy, or inject trillions of taxpayer dollars into the financial system and an array of companies as millions of Americans still lose their jobs, their savings, and their homes. In this report, we detail the events of this. The crisis. Skip. 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 In this report, we detail the events of the crisis. So you may see. But a single summary, as we see it, is useful at the onset. While the vulnerabilities that created the potential, vulnerabilities create potential for crisis, were years in the making. It was the collapse of the housing bubble, fueled by low interest rates, easy and available credit, scant regulation, and toxic mortgages. That was the spark that ignited a string of events, which led to a full-blown crisis in the fall of 2008. Trillions of dollars in risky mortgages had become embedded throughout the financial system. As mortgage-related securities were packaged, repackaged, and sold to investors around the world. When the bubble burst, hundreds of billions of dollars in losses and mortgages and mortgage-related securities shook markets, as well as the financial institutions that had significant exposures to those mortgages and had borrowed heavily against them. This happened not just in the United States, but around the world. The losses were magnified by derivatives such as synthetic securities. The crisis reached seismic proportions in September 2008 with the failure of Lehman Brothers and the impending collapse of the insurance giant American International Group, AIG. Panicked, fanned by a lack of transparency of the balance sheets of major financial institutions, coupled with a tangle of interconnections among the institutions perceived to be, quote, too big to fail, unquote, caused the credit markets to seize up, trading ground to a halt, and the stock market plummeted. The economy plunged into a deep recession. The financial system we examined bears little resemblance to that of our parents' generation. The changes in the past three decades alone have been remarkable, 
the financial markets have become increasingly globalized, don't you know? Technology has transformed the efficiency, speed, and complexity of financial instruments and transactions. There is broader access to and lower costs of financing than ever before. And the financial sector itself has become a much more dominant force in our economy. From 1978 to 2007, the amount of debt held by the financial sector soared from $3 trillion to $36 trillion, more than doubling as a share of gross domestic product. The very nature of many Wall Street firms changed from relatively staid private partnerships to publicly traded corporations taking greater and more diverse kinds of risks. By 2005, the 10 largest U.S. commercial banks held 55% of the industry's assets, more than double the level held in 2000. Sorry, in going back 1990, what were you doing in 1990? On the eve of the crisis in 2006, fast forward, financial sector profits constituted 27% of all corporate profits in the United States, up from, what, 15% in 1980? How many years is that? 26 in 26 years, you went up 15 to 27 is 8%. That's sad. No, that's that's 12%. That's sad. No, no. What's 27 minus 15? 12%. That's sad. That's the rule of 72. No. Anyways, understanding this transformation has been critical to the commission's analysis. Now. To our major findings and conclusions, which are based on the facts contained in this report, we are offered with the hope that lessons may be learned to help avoid future catastrophe. Catastrophe. When the when the elephants run into the forest and you're on the beach and the water recedes and you see no more water and you see all the sand being revealed from under the water which you used to be swimming in and surfing in and now there is just from here you where you're standing to the horizon nothing but sand and no water and the elephants are running to the forest where should you be running to the forest to the forest because you know what that means a tsunami is coming people signs of the times Indonesia we pray for and all the Indonesian islands page XVII we conclude this financial crisis was avoidable the crisis was the result of human action and inaction not doing something is just as bad as doing it depends on what you know not of mother nature or computer models gone haywire the captains of finance and the public stewards of our financial system ignored warnings and failed to question, understand, and manage evolving risks within a system essential to the well-being of the American public. Theirs was a big miss, not a stable. While the business cycle cannot be repealed, a crisis of this magnitude need not have occurred. To paraphrase Shakespeare, the fault lies not in the stars, but in us. Despite the expressed view of many on Wall Street and in Washington that the crisis could not have been foreseen or avoided, there were warning signs. 
The tragedy was that they were ignored, and discounted. That's the real tragedy. There was an explosion in risky subprime lending and securitization, an unsustainable rise in housing prices. Did we not all see? Widespread reports of egregious and predatory lending practices, dramatic increases in household mortgage debt, and exponential growth in financial firms' trading activities, unregulated derivatives, and short-term repo—you see my air quotes—repo lending markets, among many other red flags. Yet there was persuasive permissiveness. Little meaningful action was taken to quell the threats in a timely manner. The prime example is the Federal Reserve's pivotal failure to stem the flow of toxic mortgages, which it could have done by setting prudent mortgage lending standards. The Federal Reserve was the one entity empowered to do so, and it did not. The record of our examination is replete with evidence of the of other failures financial institutions made, bought and sold finance mortgage securities they never estimated, did not care to examine, or knew to be defective. Firms dependent on tens of billions of dollars of borrowing that had to be renewed each and every night, secured by subprime mortgage securities. And major firms and investors blindedly, blindly relied on credit rating agencies as their arbiters of risks. Oh hey, what are you doing? What else? What else could one expect on a highway where there were neither speed limits nor neatly painted lines or people I can skip ads of? Tell people what? Yeah, right. The prime example. Where was I? Highway. Got it. What else could one expect on a highway where there were neither speed limits nor neatly painted lines? We conclude. Widespread failures in financial regulation and supervision proved. Devastation to the stability of the nation's financial markets. The centuries were not at their posts, in no small part due to the widely accepted faith in the self-correcting nature of the markets and the ability of financial institutions to effectively police themselves. Ugh. More than thirty years. Of deregulation and reliance on self-regulation by financial institutions, championed by former Federal Reserve Chairman Alan Greenspan with A L A N, Big G, and others, supported by successive administrations and Congresses, the Big C, and actively pushed by the. Powerful financial industry at every turn had stripped away key safeguards, which could have helped and avoid this catastrophe. This approach had opened up gaps in oversight of critical areas with trillions of dollars at risk, such as the shadow banking system and the over-the-counter derivatives markets. In addition, the government permitted financial firms to pick their preferred regulators. Ah, in what became a race to the weakest supervisor. Yet we do not accept the view that regulators lack the power to protect the financial system. They had ample power in many arenas, and they chose not to use it. To give just three examples, okay, great. The SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, could have inquired more 
could have required more capital and halted risky practices at the big investment banks? It did not. The Federal Reserve Bank of New York and other regulators could have clamped down on city groups' excesses in the run-up to the crisis. They did not. Policymakers and regulators could have stopped the runaway mortgage securitization train. They did not. In case after case after case, the regulators continued to rate the institutions they oversaw oh, as safe and sound, even in the face of mounting troubles, often degrading them just before their collapse, just before, and where regulators lacked, and where regulators lacked authority, they could have sought it. They could have sought it. Too often they lacked the political will in a political and ideological environment that constrained it with your ideology and your political environment as well as the fortitude to critically challenge the institutions, critically challenge the institutions and the entire system they were entrusted to oversee. Changes in the regulatory system occurred in many instances as financial markets evolved. But as the report will show, the financial industry itself played a key role in weakening regulatory constraints on institutions, markets, and products. It did not surprise the commission that an industry of such wealth and power would exert pressure on policymakers and regulators. Oh yeah, they did. From 1999 to 2008, to party like it's 1999 to 2008, the financial sector expanded 2.7 billion in reported federal lobbying expenses. Individuals and political action committees in the sector made more than $1 billion in campaign contributions. What troubled us was the extent to which the nation was deprived of the necessary strength and the independence of the oversight necessary to safeguard financial stability. Next. We conclude dramatic failures of corporate governance and risk management at many systematic important financial institutions were a key cause of this crisis. There was a view that instincts for self-preservation inside major financial firms would shield them from from fatal risk-taking without the need for a steady regulatory hand, which the firms agreed would stifle innovation. Too many of these institutions acted recklessly, taking on too much risk with too little capital and with too much independence on short-term funding. Too much dependence on short-term funding. In many respects, this reflected a fundamental change in these institutions, particularly the large investment banks and bank holding companies, which focused their activities increasingly on risky trading activities that produced hefty profits. They took on enormous exposures in acquiring and supporting subprime lenders and creating packaging and repackaging and selling trillions of dollars in mortgage-related securities, including synthetic financial products like Icarus. They never feared flying ever closer to the sun. Many of these institutions grew aggressively through poorly executed acquisitions and integration strategies that made effective management more challenging. Yeah, thanks for the break. like a dove. Flying Homing pigeons. Homing owls. Richie Rich. We could get a personal chef. I heard about this guy on the news that 
that serves a very rare I forgot about that TV show. I want Silver Spoon. Oh man, I gotta I wanna watch it again. Richie Rich, that was the name of it. Bolton, sail away. I like that song. <clears throat> the CEO of Citigroup told the commission that a $40 billion position in highly rated mortgage securities would, quote, not in any way have excited my attention, unquote. And the co-head of Citibank's investment bank said he spent a, quote, small fraction of a 1%, unquote, of his time on the, those securities. Basically nothing. In this instant, in this instance, too big to fail meant too big to manage. Financial institutions and credit rating agencies, credit rating agencies, embraced mathematical models to mathematical models as reliable predict predictors of risk, replacing judgment to <laughs> seriously replacing judgment in too many cases. Too often, risk management became risk justification. Compensation systems designed in an environment of cheap money, intense competition, and light regulation too often rewarded the quick deal, the short-term gain, without proper consideration of long-term consequences. Often, those systems encouraged the big bet with a payoff on the upside could be huge and the downside, oh, limited. This was the case up and down the line from the corporate boardroom to the mortgage broker on the street. Our examination revealed stunning instances of governance breakdowns and irresponsibility we will read, among other things, about AIG senior managers' ignorance of the terms and risks of the company's $79 billion derivatives exposure to the mortgage-related securities. Fannie Mac's quest for bigger market share profits and bonuses, which led it to ramp up its exposure to risky loans and securities as the housing market was peaking and the costly surprise when Merrill Lynch's top management realized that the company held $55 billion in, quote, super senior, unquote, and supposedly super safe mortgage-related securities that resulted in billions of dollars in losses. We conclude a combination of excess borrowing, risk investments, and lack of transparency. But the financial system on a collapse course put put the financial system on a collapse course with crisis. Clearly, this vulnerability was related to failures of corporate governance and regulation. But it is significant enough by itself to warrant our attention here. In the years leading up to the crisis, too many financial institutions, as well as too many households, borrowed to the hilt, leaving them vulnerable to financial distress or ruin if the value of their investments declined even modestly. For example, as of 2007, the five, count them, five major investment banks, who are them? Name them. Bear Stearns, Goldman Sachs, Lehman Brothers, Merrill Lynch, and Morgan Stanley were operating with extraordinary thin capital. By one measure, their leverage ratios were as high as 40 to 1, meaning for every $40 in assets, there was only $1 in capital to cover losses. Less than a 3% drop in asset values could have wiped out a firm. Less than 3% drop. 
in asset values, could have wiped out a firm to make matters worse. Much of their borrowing was short-term in the overnight market, meaning the borrowing had to be renewed each and every day. For example, in the end of 2007, Bear Stearns had $11.8 billion in equity and $383.6 billion in liabilities. The equity was like 11. Liabilities, 383. What does that mean? Good? You, you got it in the bank? 11. What you owe? 383. Yeah. And liabilities. And was borrowing as much as 70 billion in the overnight market. It was the equivalent of a small business with 50,000 in equity borrowing a million point six dollars. With 296, 750 of that due each and every day. You borrow 50,000, but you got to pay them almost 300,000 each and every day day. So you have to borrow $1.6 million just to pay them $300,000 every day for the $50,000 you borrowed or that you have in equity. One cannot really ask, where were, what were they thinking? Why not? When it seems that too many of them were thinking alike. Uh-huh, XX. We're on page XX, people. And the leverage was often hidden in derivative positions. Derivatives positions in off-balance sheet entities and through, quote, window dressing, unquote, of financial reports available to the investing public. The king of leverage were Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and the two behemoth government-sponsored enterprises, capital G, capital S, capital E, little s. For example, by the end of year 2007, Fannie and Freddie's combined leverage ratio, including loans they owned and guaranteed, stood at 75 to 1. What does that mean? They were leveraged 75 to 1. You only have one, but you owe 75. For every one, you owe 75. You, you have nothing. You're like 74 in the negative for every one. But financial firms were not alone in, borrowing, in the borrowing spree. From 2001 to 2007, national mortgage debt, national mortgage debt almost doubled. I'm going to read the end of this and I'll be back. Last last page. National mortgage debt almost doubled and the amount of mortgage debt per household rose more than 63% from only 91,500 to 149,500. From 90 to 150. Even while wages were essentially stagnate, when the housing downturn hit, heavily indebted financial firms and families alike were walloped. The heavy debt taken on by some financial institutions were exa- ex- exasperated, ex- ex- exacerbated, exacerbated by the risky assets they were acquiring with the with that debt. As the mortgage and real estate markets churned out riskier and riskier loans and securities, many financial institutions loaded up on them. By the end of 2007, Lehman had amassed one, one, one billion dollars in commercial and residential real estate holdings and securities, which was almost twice what it had just two years before. More than four times its total equity. And again, the risk wasn't being taken on just by big financial firms, but by families too. Nearly one in 10 mortgage borrowers in 2005 and 2006 took out, quote, 
Option, capital A, capital R, capital M. Arm, okay? It's for something a mortgage, loans. You can charge a lot more later. Which meant they could choose to make payments so low that their mortgage balances rose every month. Hello? They're, you start low. But then the balances rose every month. Within the financial system, the dangers of this debt were magnified because transparency was not required or desired. Massive short-term borrowing combined with obligations unseen by others in the market heightened the chances the system would rapidly unravel. In the early part of the 20th century, we erected a series of um, protections. The Federal Reserve was a lender of last resort. Federal Deposit Insurance, FDI, ample regulations to provide a bulk work against the panics that had regularly plagued America's banking system in the 19th century. Yet, over the past 30 plus years, we permitted the growth of a shadow banking system, opaque and laden with short-term debt that rev that rivaled the size of the traditional banking system. Key components of the market, for example, oh, the trillion dollar, the multi-trillion dollar repo lending market, off-balance-sheet, off-balance-sheet entities, and the use of the over-the-counter derivatives were hidden from view. Y'all didn't know, right? Without the protection we had constructed to prevent the financial meltdowns. You put up a wall, they go around it. We had a 21st century financial system with a 19th century safeguards. When the housing and mortgage markets catered, the lack of transparency, the extraordinary debt loads, the short-term loans, and the risky assets all came home to roost. What resulted was the big P. We had reaped what we had sown. End of XX page. Bon appetit, I'm having lunch. Oh, it's 9 o'clock and 11 minutes.